0: shakes you up it is not it not only has depth it has value it enriches your life wonder is not cheap amusement that brings a smile to your face it is an encounter with reality with God that brings all to your heart you are overwhelmed with an emotion that is a mixture of gratitude adoration reverence fear and love you are not looking for explanations you are lost in the wonder of God and may God hit us today with that sense of worship and wonder um, of him. And ultimately what we're about to see is in Revelation 4 and 5, there is a throne and God is on it. And he is worthy of all worship. He is worthy of all praise. So let's jump into the word now and let's approach the occupied And if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we read Revelation 4 and 5. It's not as many verses as you might think. But so over the next few weeks, we're going to take on two chapters at a time. And the reason we're doing that is because in the first century, when um, the book of Revelation was read to the churches, it was read in whole. So all 22 chapters. And so we're going to take on chapters at a time so that we don't get bogged down in, in the things that don't matter. And we're able to focus on that which does. So beginning at verse 4, it says this. That had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four elders, and seated on the thrones were twenty or twenty-four thrones. And seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbling and pills of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. So let's look at chapter 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly, loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden And the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, before this scene, Lord, around your throne. Lord, remind us today, if nothing else, Lord, may we be reminded in this moment that there is a throne in heaven, God, and you are on it. And you are ruling and you are reigning and you are overruling. And Lord, help us, Father, to trust you more, but show us today the beauty of this portrait, the beauty of this scene. Lord, help us to to see it, to feel it, God, to know it. To speak, oh God, through your spirit, through your word, in Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. So as we come to Revelation 4, we need to keep in mind that the church is, has been mentioned some 19 times in the first three chapters. Now, beginning in Revelation 4 all the way to Revelation 19, the the church completely drops from the pages of the book until the end of the tribulation. Now some theologians believe that the book of Revelation should be seen not as chronological, meaning not as this, 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 but as cyclical, meaning there's a bunch of circles and we put them on top of each other and it helps us understand um, the the picture of how Revelation works. But some of these theologians believe that Matthew 24 is a better chronological picture of the rapture where it says that Jesus um, raptures the church after the tribulation. Those who see the book as chronological and some who see the cyclical would say that there are only two logical conclusions to the church not being mentioned. So the church not being mentioned from Revelation 4 to Revelation 19, there's only two logical conclusions. Number one, either the church has been completely wiped out through persecution and the work of Satan so that the church is no more, or the church has been taken out through the rapture by Jesus Christ. Now when I read this and I see a door open in heaven and I hear a trumpet, the voice of a trumpet, I immediately think of 1 Thessalonians 4. The trumpet will sound. The dead in Christ will rise. Yet the main point of these two chapters, again, is that there is a throne in heaven and it is occupied. Revelation, as we said last week, is a throne book. The word throne is used 45 times. Here in chapter 4, it's used 14 times times everything in revelation 4 and 5 revolves around the throne yet there's no point of reference to the to the throne of god it has no height no nor depth nor breadth nor length it has no beginning or end it is just there and here's what i love when john saw heaven opened think about this think about what we just sang when john saw heaven open the first thing that confronts him were not mansions were not the streets of gold was not the crystal sea, was not even loved ones. The first thing that he beheld was the throne of God. There's some power there, brothers and sisters. We make heaven about things that heaven's not about. We make heaven about us when heaven will forever be about him. So earthly, and some of you need to hear that again. So we make heaven about us, heaven is about him. Earthly monarchs come and go. Earthly thrones are filled and vacated. But this throne in heaven remains occupied forever. This is the truth and this is good good news so we're going to unpack today three truths concerning the one on the throne and that's kind of a play of words one on the throne and i i have way more notes than i have time this morning so we'll see where we go but the first truth we're going to unpack together is this we must see the glory of our triune god we must see the glory of our triune god so in these two chapters we see a trinitarian view of god Meaning we know that God is one in three persons. He's three persons, yet one God. And let's see this. And there's, there's 3 subpoints here, one for each. So He, number one, He, God the Father, is our glorious Creator. That's what we see here. Verses 2 and 3, you see it on the screen, it says, Behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And around the throne was a rainbow. Then we read, Twenty-four elders fall down before him and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you to receive glory and honor and power. For you, verse 11, created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So Revelation 4 centers around God the Father, the glorious creator of all, sitting on the throne. And just think about his glory, the glory of God the Father. He is He's glorious in his person. When you read verses 2 and 3, John sees The one who John sees on the throne but doesn't dare describe in human terms is God the Father. But instead, John begins to describe him in terms of precious stones which represent his glory and his purity. This was John's way of saying what Paul had already said in 1 Timothy 6. The King of kings and Lord of lords who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light. So just think about the greatest light show you've ever seen. And that is what John is experiencing in this moment. And it's all speaking to God's glory and His purity. He is glorious in His person. He's glorious in His promises. Even when those promises lead to judgment. When we read verse 5, according to verse 5, judgment was coming. In the Old Testament, at Mount Sinai, God thundered when He gave His people the law. Now He's thundering when he's about to judge people for breaking that law. But may we never forget, even in judgment, I love the words of Habakkuk 3.2, that in his wrath, God remembers mercy. God never forgets mercy. And that brings us to the rainbow. In verse 3, it says, Around the throne was a rainbow, so a full circle rainbow. Think about this. Every rainbow that we have ever seen is only a half. In heaven, there is a full rainbow. And here's the beautiful picture. Here's what it shows us. And this is amazing. There is nothing incomplete in heaven. Isn't that great? There is nothing incomplete in heaven. Everything in heaven is complete. Everything in heaven is completely, perfectly complete. And just think about the promise of the rainbow. I think of Genesis 9. After the flood, after God's judgment upon man, there was the rainbow. So in Genesis 9, the rainbow came after judgment. In Ezekiel chapter 1, as God's judgment was being poured out, there was a rainbow. So a rainbow was there in the middle of the judgment, or in the middle of God's wrath. And here in Revelation 4, we see the rainbow before the judgment. Here's the picture here. So whether before judgment, during judgment, or after judgment, in His wrath, God remembers mercy. God remembers mercy. He doesn't forget mercy. We praise God for that. And then God is glorious in His power. We see that in verse 5. and verse 11, He has power to judge the world because He created it. He's glorious in His praise. We see that in verses 4 through 8. And it gets a little crazy because we're introduced to um, 24 elders. And some see these 24 elders as an angelic. Order. Um, others see these 24 elders as the Old Testament priesthood in 1st Chronicles 24. Others think they're exalted Old Testament and New Testament believers. And still others believe that they are a representation of the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. I, I, I Pretty much I take that belief meaning ultimately that the 24 elders points to the redeemed of all ages. The redeemed of all ages around the throne. So the the praise of God, the people of God, encircling the the throne. We have the redeemed of all ages, then we are introduced to four living creatures. These are the nearest to God. Their appearance reminds us of the cherubim in the book of Ezekiel, but their their words, their praise reminds us of the seraphim in in Isaiah 6. Holy, holy, holy. (laughs) And it has been said that the purpose of these four elders, get this, is to remind all creatures through all of eternity of the ministry of Jesus Christ. In fact, some, some even say, some early church fathers say, when it ta- talks about the four creatures and, and different faces, it's pointing to the Gospels and how the Gospels point to Jesus. But don't miss this. Never forget that Jesus in his ministry pointed to the Father. He pointed to the Father, who is the glorious Creator. So He, God the Father, is our glorious Creator. Then secondly, He, God the Son, is our victorious Redeemer. He, God the Son, is our victorious Redeemer. So in chapter 5, we are introduced to a scroll containing God's foreordained plan for the redemption and the restoration of all creation. Plans which lead to the elimination of evil, the The elimination of the evil one, the defeat of death, plans for the final removal of sin and suffering. Now, a lot of people say, well, what's in that scroll? You know, what do we see in the scroll? And here's what I believe. Everything we're about to read from Revelation 6 on is what is in that scroll. What is happening? But think about this. In order for someone to open this scroll, they would have to cross the sea of glass They would have to withstand the thunder and lightning that radiated from the throne. They would have to approach the blinding brilliance of the throne of God. And then having taken the scroll from the hand of God, that person would need the authority to put everything that God has planned into practice. So the question in heaven becomes, who is able to open the scroll? And the chapter gives us the answer, no one. Think about who would have been in heaven. Not Abraham, not Moses, not Elijah or Elisha, not Joshua or Caleb, not David, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, not John the Baptist, not not James or John, not Peter, not Paul, or even Mary. I mean so none of them are able to open the scroll. A universal search is made, and no one is worthy. And John begins to weep, and an elder comes to him and hushes him and tells him in verses 5 through 7, and you see on the screen, the elder says, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And he says this, I saw, verse 7, a lamb standing As though it had been slain, and he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. So John is pointed to a lion, yet he turns, and instead he sees a lamb who had been slain. Was there ever a more dramatic moment? But don't miss the victorious Redeemer here. Don't miss Jesus here. First of all, he appears he is the slaughtered lamb. He is the one who shed his precious blood, yet he is standing And think about this, slaughtered lambs don't stand. Slaughtered lambs don't move around, but this one does because he has defeated death. And in the midst of the throne, hear this, in the midst of the throne, John sees the only man-made thing that will ever enter heaven. The only man-made thing that will ever enter heaven, which is this, the wounds of Jesus Christ the wounds of Jesus Christ, man-made, will enter heaven. It was Walter Scott who said, or who wrote, the memories of Calvary are treasured in heaven, and they're treasured in the wounds of Christ. So as we see the slain lamb, we realize that Jesus is not awaiting victory. He has achieved victory through the cross. And the theme of the lamb is an important theme all the way through Scripture. Think about this. The Old Testament question of isaac in genesis 22 where is the lamb was answered by john the baptist in john 1 when he said to jesus behold the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world and here in revelation 5 all let me say it again all of the inhabitants of heaven declare worthy is the lamb where's the lamb Behold the lamb, and we worthy is the lamb. He is the slaughtered lamb, but he is also the sovereign lion. This is what we see. He is the source of salvation. He's the strength of our salvation. And he approaches the throne, and he takes the scroll. What audacity of him to do that. But he does so because he has all authority in heaven and on earth. And What an amazing picture. What truth. For only God shares the spotlight with himself. So this is Jesus stepping on the scene. Think about this. The lion who wields power and strength that none can resist is also the lamb who walked on earth in weakness and suffering. The lion who is known for his majesty is also the lamb who is known for his meekness. The lion who is known for his uncompromising commitment to righteousness is also the lamb who overflows in love for sinners like you and me. The lion who who is life itself is also the lamb who willingly died for sinners. The lion who in himself needs nothing. The lion is completely self-sufficient is also the lamb who gives and gives And then gives again, generously and abundantly. He is at one time a a lion like lamb, and he is a lamb like lion, without any inconsistency or contradiction in terms. He is our victorious redeemer. And then third, he is our or he, the Holy Spirit, is our gracious perfecter. So we have the Father, we have the Son, we have the Holy Spirit, our gracious. Perfector, we see the seven spirits of God. We said the complete picture of the the perfect spirit of God in both chapters 4 and 5. In chapter 4, verse 5, it says, Before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God, the Holy Spirit. And in chapter 5, verse 6, John says, I saw a lamb standing with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Again, a picture of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is perfect in his person the third person of the trinity is perfect in his position he's perfect in his performance and it is God the Holy Spirit who is sent by God the Father sent by God the Son into the world to carry out the divine mission of God to the world he is the power for our mission the Holy Spirit is the power for our transformation in fact according to romans 8 we will be conformed into the image of jesus christ by the holy spirit so he is our gracious Perfector, making us conforming us into the image of his son so see the glory of our triune god this is the mystery of the trinity and it is mind-blowing yet please 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 don't think for a moment that when you get to heaven, you will come to the bottom of God. You will have God completely figured out. We get to heaven. And we know all that there is to know about God. And then that's the end. Brothers and sisters, you will never, I will never get to the bottom of this God. Amen. There is enough glory in this God, get this, to last forever. There's enough glory in Him to last forever and ever and ever and ever. We'll never get to the bottom. God has enough. He'll keep pouring out, and He'll keep pouring out, and He'll keep pouring out. This is the beauty and magnificence of this God. See the glory of our triune God. But then the second truth we want to look at today is this. Hear the praise surrounding our God. So hear the praise that's surrounding our God. And there are two things that I, I want to show you here. The first is that our God in heaven is surrounded by unending praise. Look at verses 8 through 11. You see it on the screen. And the four living creatures, that's the angelic beings, each of them with six wings, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And the 24 elders, the redeemed, Fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. This God, the God of the universe, He is surrounded in praise. And the praise that He is surrounded in is unending. Day and night, night and day. Because you don't sleep in the majesty of this God. You bow, you rejoice And you praise in His presence. Think about this. At this moment, there is a host in heaven that are resounding the praise of this God. And when we go home this afternoon, they will still be resounding His praise. And when we lay down tonight and close our eyes, they will still be resounding His praise. And Lord willing, when we wake up in the morning, they will still be resounding His praise. And when we go throughout our week, and Lord willing, we come back here next Sunday, they will still be resounding the praise of this God. Why? Because in the presence of this God, praise doesn't get old. In the presence of this God, worship doesn't grow old. We're continually reminded who is. He is. He's surrounded by unending praise. And then second point I want to see is he's surrounded by universal praise. Look at Revelation 5 real quick. And look at verse, I believe, verse 7. Revelation 5, verse 7, it says this. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand. Let me make sure I'm in the right. No, sorry, verse 8. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures... Twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll, to open its seals. Hear this, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. God is surrounded by universal praise. Follow with me here. We we see here, we, we hear the song of the redeemed. Only the redeemed are described as singing here in Revelation 5. And what are they singing about? They're singing about the worth of Jesus. And hear this, they're singing about the blood of Jesus. Did you know there are churches all across our nation that have taken songs about the blood out of hymnals and out of their praise songs? They've completely taken them out. But let me say this. Songs about the blood have not, taken, or have not been taken out in heaven. Amen. They are still singing about the blood of Jesus. They're singing about His redemption. They're singing about His salvation of every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. He is surrounded by unending praise. He's surrounded by universal praise of those He came to save. The question is, is He being surrounded by our praise? Are we praising Him? as we should are we giving him what is due to him hear the praise surrounding our god and then lastly the third truth is this live in the power of our god live in the power of our god look at verses 13 and 14 of chapter 5 it says john says i heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And once again, the four living creatures said amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. And it is here that we need to be reminded of our study over the last seven weeks. What I mean by that is this. We just got through studying churches who were being tempted to compromise and fall into idolatry, fall into immorality. Churches who were facing severe tribulation. One church, Smyrna, would go through the darkest of tribulations. Another church, Philadelphia, would be delivered from tribulation. But make no mistake, and this is where we must see whether we're delivered from all trials and all difficulty or whether God calls on us to endure the darkest of difficult times even to be persecuted for his name's sake regardless of what that is God is on the throne and he is in control God is in control brothers and sisters if you are, if you are saved from tribulation and difficulty God is in control if you have to walk through it God is in control therefore everything we do for him is worth it because He is worthy of it. He's worthy of our service. He's worthy of our time. He's worthy of our, any tribulation that we go through for His name's sake. And as we come to the, the end of this section, get this, all of heaven is on its face before the Father and before the Son. Praise is radiating from every heart. But this is where we need to see, be reminded again, God is not just worthy in heaven. He's also worthy on earth. God is not just worthy up there. He is worthy down here. He's worthy right now, right this very moment. He's worthy of our worship and praise. He is worthy of every life in this room. He's worthy of every home represented in this room. He's worthy today, and praise God, He'll be worthy tomorrow. He is worthy this week, and He will be worthy forever. And He is not just worthy of some praise. He's worthy of all praise. And he's not just worthy of the praise of some people. He is worthy of the praise of all people. May we understand today, this God that we get to worship and serve is greater than we'll ever know. And he is worthy. Brothers and sisters, he is worthy. I want to end today with a story. And some of us are familiar with some of this story. And you've heard it before. About a group called the Moravians. They were a group in the 1700s. They were a community in Germany. And in 1727, um, they commenced a around-the-clock, 24-hours-a-day prayer watch that continued nonstop, get this, for over a hundred years. So it started with 24 men and 24 women who covenanted together that every hour of the day someone was going to be praying for 24 hours. And it kept going for 100 years. So this Moravian community started with 300 in their community. But get this, within 65 years, they had sent out 300 missionaries around the world which means either they were praying and making a lot of babies and that's all they did, or they were praying and they were actually living according to the gospel. They were living and evangelizing and making disciples. But 300 within 65 years were sent out to North and South America, to Africa, Asia, the Caribbean, and the Arctic. The first to leave Germany as missionaries were two Moravian tradesmen, 36-year-old David Nixman, And 26-year-old Johan de and they left in 1732, so five years after this prayer, this 24-hour prayer began. And this is where it gets really good, because these young men heard about the plight of African slaves on the island of St. Thomas in the Caribbean, where 3,000 slaves were doomed to live and die without ever hearing the name of Jesus. They determined to go by any means necessary, even when they were told the only way to get there was to sell themselves as slaves. So the Moravian community came to see these two young men off, men who would never return again, having freely sold themselves into a life of slavery. They would have to live and they would die as slaves. Family members were emotional. They were weeping They were thinking, was there extreme sacrifice wise? Was it necessary? And as the ship slipped away with the tide and as the gap widened, these two young men stood on the back of the boat and they linked arms and they raised their hands and they shouted across the spreading gap these words. And we'll have them on the screen. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. And brothers and sisters, that became the call to Moravian missions. And this is the only reason for our being. Let me ask you this, and that is right out of Revelation 5, verse 12. May the lamb that was slain receive the the reward of his suffering. And the picture is this. Brothers and sisters, what's the reward of His suffering? What's the reward of the suffering of the Lamb? And here is the reward. People from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation around His throne. That is the reward of His suffering and us being able to be a part of it. Brothers and sisters, may we owe to God that we would fill our lives with unending praise to a God who is worthy of it. Brothers and sisters, God the Father, He's worthy. God the Son, He is worthy. And God the Holy Spirit, He is worthy. I'm going to go ahead and ask you to stand, and we're going to call the musicians forward as we enter into a time of consecration, the time of invitation. And Let's just seek the Lord now. Father, we just do declare those words, God, You are worthy. You're worthy. You are worthy. Not just of a little bit of our praise, God, You're worthy of all of it. You're not just worthy in heaven, Lord. You are worthy right now. Help us, God, in a, we pray in a, maybe a new way, God, just to sense your worth. To sense, Lord, just a, a desire within our hearts, within our souls, God, to praise your name. Lord, may the lamb who was slain receive the reward of his suffering, even through our life and through our lives and through this church. In Jesus' name, amen.